Hello. I said I was back, didn't I? I'm glad to be back making episodes again. I've been writing a new book since, what was it, probably November, December 2020. Only a very short while after the first one came out. And I'm virtually finished now, so I'll have more time to plan, write, edit and mix episodes very soon. I'll talk more about the book a bit later, but first, well, I've got to talk about Russia, haven't I? You know, I've been on this road for half my life now. And so situations like COVID and Russia stand out a million miles to me. When COVID first was covered in the news, there were discussions on the news about is the World Health Organization going to label COVID a pandemic? And I said at the time, I said it in person, I said on social media, that it was obvious they were going to do so, even if it was not a pandemic, which of course it wasn't. The virus does not exist and has never been proven to exist in a single scientific paper, as I've pointed out many times. But it was obvious they were going to say it was a pandemic because they wanted people to think it was a pandemic to justify everything that's happened since 2020 in the name of COVID. And of course, you know, I didn't know at the time there was no virus, but I knew it was not what they were telling us. And this situation in Russia now is not as simple as they're telling us. The hypocrisy of the West is truly something to behold. I mean, the West talks about defending democracy when Ukraine is banning any opposition and opposition media challenging the official narrative. Democracies don't ban opposition, only dictatorships ban opposition. Ukraine is a West-controlled country. In 2011, the president of Ukraine was Viktor Yanukovych, who was ousted from office for alleged corruption in the George Soros Orange Revolution in 2004, one of several George Soros color revolutions around the world to benefit the, the global cult that I talk and have talked about since pay-per-view began. And the people of Ukraine didn't like the new prime minister so they voted in the only other party they had a choice to vote in which was led by Viktor Yanukovych. This is how the farce called political elections work. Yanukovych was kicked out of office again in another people's revolution sponsored by America again in 2014 and George Soros and was replaced by Poroshenko a US and West supported puppet. This is Ukrainian democracy this is America being concerned about Ukrainian democracy. So 2004, the Orange Revolution, and 2014, the revolution that ended up with Poroshenko being installed. In 2004, George Bush was the president, uh, you know, officially. And then in 2014, it was Obama. So different leaderships, but the agenda remains the same to manipulate Ukrainian politics and Ukrainian democracy. So don't give me any of this nonsense about America caring about democracy and human rights. America doesn't care about anything in terms of other countries except starting wars and conflicts. Another technique the West uses is to, again, use the cover of protecting democracy to justify an invasion after branding a leader a dictator. This, of course, is what they did in Iraq and Libya. They tried to do it in Syria, but Putin supporting Assad made it more challenging for them to remove the leader and install one they liked, so they demonised Putin and Assad. The West wanted Islamic State to advance through Syria and to invade and remove Assad and place a West-controlled puppet into power, but Putin stopped that from happening. I've talked about this before in episode 49, 48-49. Uh, Putin's position on the current situation is that he doesn't want 
NATO on the border of Russia, which is surrounded by American military bases, as is China. This was revealed in a great documentary by journalist John Pilger called The Coming War with China, which came out a few years ago now, but I recommend watching it. The alternative media on the internet have been talking about a conflict between the West and an alliance of Russia and China in that same conflict being in the planning since the mid-1990s. Since 2020, far more people have become aware of the fact that the world's not like, not like they thought it was and the accuracy and the real journalism as opposed to the corporate-controlled, state-controlled propaganda of the mainstream media. As a result of the COVID hoax, far more people have become aware of that. Far more people are starting to look at the world anew and question what they're told. The accuracy of the alternative media on the internet, which called every stage of this pandemic hoax since March 2020, weeks if not months sometimes before, when the mainstream media presented every stage as random and spontaneous. So a conflict pitching the West against Russia and China and has long been in the planning. So big new Brzezinski, Jimmy Carter's national security advisor and mentor to Obama, wrote in The Grand Chessboard, published in 1998, about the need to control Eurasia. And Eurasia is the an area basically comprising all of Europe and Asia. And when people like Brzezinski are telling you what they think should happen, they're telling you plan to happen under the guise of opinion and suggestion because they know the agenda. It's not the people that come and go, like the political figures that make the decisions. It's the permanent government who matter the most, as they're the ones making the decisions. And during COVID, we saw how technocrats and advisors and alleged experts were running policy, not the political leaders. And that's the agenda, to have, as I've said before, to have technocrats running global policy. The idea is for a world government of unelected technocrats. I did an episode called Technocracy, and that was back, I think, in 2019. I did that episode and talked about this. They want an end to elected governments, and that's one of the benefits for the agenda of the COVID hoax, was people losing faith in elected governments. So the solution of technocrats, technical experts and advisors and such like being offered is the solution. Well, we've seen how rubbish governments can be, haven't we? Let's give the experts a chance. That kind of thing. Brzezinski has been involved in geopolitical affairs for decades and what he wrote over 20 years ago is playing out now because it's a long planned agenda. How many of the I stand with Ukraine people actually know any of this? How many of them know what that support is being encouraged for and to lead to? Yes, of course, we should support people, even if only in gesture or vocal support, if not more than that, who are in a country being bombed and attacked but get informed and be streetwise before you support when the covid hoax first came into public awareness i said at the time in this podcast and i said to people who asked me about it at the time they said what do you think about it and i said well i don't know yet this was this was very early on you know you've got to hold back you know the media is encouraging people to jump to conclusions and to think and feel a certain way. But if you just hold back and let the information be your guide, which is what I did with COVID, and that's what I'm doing now. I mean, I know I'm recording this now, but I'm still observing the situation rather than jump jump into a definite conclusion, which is what I did with the COVID. Yes, I was recording segments about it and 
with episodes and stuff, but I was holding back from jumping to a conclusion. Like I said, I've been on this path for half my life now, and that's one of the things you learn from experience is not to jump into things, it's just to hold back and observe and let the information and events as they play out be your guide before jumping to a conclusion. So America talks about defending Ukraine's borders when America have opened up the southern border of America to allow migration and immigration from Mexico and other places in Central and South America for years now. Britain has been allowing unfettered migration, as, as has Germany, supported by Merkel, the Chancellor, with all the consequences of migration, including allowing criminals through in terms of America, like MS-13, the South American crime and drug gang, into North America. Look at the consequences of people in Sweden, where there are no-go zones, where even law enforcement won't go because of the criminal migrants operating in that area. And I've talked about migration before in this podcast. So again, don't give me any crap about the West caring about defending borders. Putin doesn't want Ukraine joining NATO. The West are condemning Russia for invading Ukraine when the West, especially Britain and America, but not only have been invading countries and changing regimes for decades, Iraq, Libya, Syria, they invaded, and many more throughout history. They condemn Russia, but they stay silent about the West-supported genocide and ethnic cleansing by Israel, which owns them, in Palestine over decades, and the conflict West-supported again between Saudi Arabia and Yemen. Anyone remember the last time they heard about Yemen on the BBC or Sky News? The hypocrisy is breathtaking. They just say what they need to say, to do what they need, want to do when they want to do it, which is why they contradict themselves over and over and over again, because they just say whatever suits in the moment to get what they want, and that's what they're doing now. That's all they're doing now. Whenever you hear any of this talk about, as you know, whether it's Boris Johnson saying it or whoever, we stand with the people of Ukraine, and I am deeply saddened to hear about destruction in Ukraine. They say what they need to say to do what they want to do to get what they want to get. These leaders don't feel anything. Look at the COVID fascism and the way the West have killed elderly people in Britain, America and other countries. In Britain, they did it with a drug called Midazolam on Matt Hancock's watch, by the way, which I talk about in more detail in my new book, in a comprehensive and very detailed chapter and very substantial chapter on the COVID hoax. Look at the obvious consequences of a lockdown, which Boris Johnson, British Prime Minister, just as an example, knew was not necessary and was not based on protecting health. It was based on following the COVID script to advance an agenda with all the devastation that caused for people personally, psychologically, financially. But he imposed lockdown anyway, because these Western leaders or any leaders are there, are just there to follow a script, whether it's the Russia script or the COVID hope script or climate change hope script whatever it is that's all they are they're script readers that's it so you look at what was done during the covid hoax just as an example so these western leaders they don't even care about the people in their own countries never mind the ukraine the covid hoax has created massive inflation and we're only just seeing the start of the consequences of that now a war would obviously create even more economic consequences and financial consequences and it's all part of creating what i've called the hunger game society in previous podcast episodes it's not my phrase but borrow that phrase but whereby the population are in staggering levels of poverty while the rich get richer which is exactly what has happened during the covid hoax and a war would take it on to another level 
especially as the elite, the cult as I call them, own the armament companies, the weapons companies. And this then plays into the great reset of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, known as you will own nothing and you will be happy. That's the phrase, the catchphrase of that. Because the plan is for people to rent everything, and if they don't keep authority happy by allowing authority and government to dictate the fine detail of their lives, as we've seen during the COVID hoax, their permission to rent is revoked. So not only will they own nothing, they will have nothing, unless they allow authority and government to dictate their life. What does that mean? Total control. And that's the idea. And in my first book, Paper View in Print, available at paperview.uk, I cover examples of how the Hunger Games Society was playing out climate change policy as part of the human-caused climate change hoax is leading to the Great Reset. All roads lead to Rome, as they say. And I talk in my new book, actually, about the history of this cult and the connections between between Rome and Babylon and other areas and the cult and all roads lead to Rome also in the sense of no matter what the crisis the policies and the solutions are the same I've talked before I think certainly I do in my new book about the similarities between COVID and climate change policy in terms of solutions offered and changes in society to deal with COVID and climate change and how they advance the cult's agenda because they were both invented to advance the cult's agenda and by invented I mean made up all roads lead to the agenda yes the climate's changing but it's always changed and the extent of climate change is massively overplayed as i talk about in my new book all roads lead to the agenda advancing that's why my first book is all about this agenda and anyone who reads that book and looks at what has happened in society and the world since 2020 will see why the covid hoax was played in the first place that we're seeing the unfolding of an agenda and the engineering or faking of crises are just a vehicle to advance that agenda. The cult don't care how their agenda is advanced as long as it is advanced, so they'll try anything to achieve that end. So they don't care whether a war or COVID or climate change or something else advances their agenda as long as something does. A big focus of my new book is probably the central theme of it. It's called Reality Check. It's the first time I've announced their name an exclusive <laughs> um it's called reality check and i couldn't have chosen two words that are more perfect to describe a what the book's about and b what we need i say we i mean people who only get their news from the mainstream media and people who don't question or people who do question but not enough is a reality check that's what that's what this world needs now more than ever in human history certainly known human history and I think there's going to be information in there that is even going to challenge the perceptions of people who are into alternative information. They're going to find things in there that even they would, because, you know, there's a spectrum of people who are into alternative information, as I've seen over the last 15 years now that I've been on this path. Um, I mean, I've been doing this podcast for about three, four years now, um, but been on this path for the last 15. Our podcast is just, and the books are just a the latest, you know, examples of my efforts to try to get information out to people, but been on this path for half my life, and I've seen the spectrum of people who are into alternative information. There's people that are into it as like a pastime and a hobby. That's one end of the spectrum, and then the other end of the spectrum is who understand how important addressing the information is because everything in people's lives, people value, comes out of addressing it in the sense that 
the agenda, the global agenda by this global cult threatens those things. Everything in people's lives, employment, financial security, their children's future, and even, I mean, if you go deep enough into this agenda, and I do in the new book, even the end of family, this cult want an end to the family unit, which is why one of the goals of Black Lives Matter is the end of what they call the nuclear family. What we, what that's got to do with racial justice, I don't know, but that's one of the goals of Black Lives Matter, as I've talked about before in this podcast, and I say in the new book, is a cult creation. It's funded and connected to cult and corporations, and it's a cult and cult agenda supporting, advancing organization. So everything that people value in their lives is targeted by this agenda. And that's why it's so important to be aware of it and address it. And that's why I've spent half my life trying to get people to do that by putting information in front of people. They make of it what they will, you know, it's their own choice what they make of it, but put the information in front of them. They're not getting it through the mainstream media to allow them to see how important it is to address this. And we are in a time now where one of the reasons people are awakening to the fact that the world is not like they thought it was, as many people have since 2020 as a result of the COVID hosts, because they've had their own reality check. And, you know, the book is about questioning our perceptions and questioning everything. And I mean everything, as people who read the book will see, right down to the nature of reality itself and what this reality is, as well as current events. And I've got a chapter in the book called Everybody Thinks That, obviously, you know, named after the common phrase, everybody knows that, in which I take gimmies, things that people don't question and take for granted, and things that people think don't need to be questioned and show that you absolutely should question them and I do it with nothing more than facts and evidence and information and I just basically turn them on their head and that chapter in many ways is like a mini version of the book itself and uh, (laughs) it's extraordinarily controversial and explosive the book and um, quite possibly one of the most controversial books ever written demolishes the covid hoax I mean, anybody who bought the first, because I know there are some listeners to this podcast who, who did buy the first book. The demolition job I did on human caused climate change in that book, I basically do that same thing, but for COVID in this new book. Got a separate chapter. Well, I guess it's connected because it's about COVID, but it is a separate chapter about the COVID vaccine. Because there's that much information and more to show that this vaccine is at best, if you get a, a vial, if you get a, you know, a vial from one of the batches that are, contain the bad stuff. At best, it can leave you with life-changing adverse effects and at worst can kill you. So, I mean, you know, the, the amount of evidence and information to show that is extraordinary. I cover a lot of that in the new book. But the central theme in the new book is reality check. And, you know, on that point of reality check, because, you know, we need to question what we're told now more than ever. And uh, on that point, I came across this... This was on Twitter the other day. This, I mean, this sums up exactly what I'm saying. Footage of an alleged Ukrainian fighter jet named the Ghost of Kiev is from a, is from a simulation game, Fact Checkers Report. A clip from Digital Combat Simulator, a flight simulation game, has been miscaptioned on social media, Fact Checkers say. Now, you know, the evidence shows again and again that Fact Checkers, what they say, is not the truth, usually is the truth, and vice versa. But I just thought I'd point that out, because how many people, if it is from this game, I don't know, I've never played this game, I don't know anything about the game, but if the footage is from a video game, 
then how many people, if they were told on the news that it was real footage, would believe it? That's the point. Questioning everything. News item on Twitter says, The clip does not show a Ukrainian fighter jet shooting down Russian planes. Reuters reports social media users have been claiming the simulation combat plane is a fighter known as the ghost of Kiev, according to multiple reports. The Ukrainian military said on February 24th that five Russian planes and a Russian helicopter were shot down in the Luhansk region. It has not been confirmed that a single Ukrainian pilot shot down the aircraft, however, Reuters reports. Now, I don't know what the details of that. This is why questioning is so important, because the footage looks real. Maybe it is, I don't know. But how easy it is to manipulate people who don't question anything, when we need to question everything. Now, you know, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about events in Russia, because it's an ongoing story, and by the time you... If I did that, by the time you heard this, then the situation would have moved on anyway. But what I am going to cover is another element of this Russian situation, which I've talked about before in a segment in this podcast called Cyber Hacking, about a cyber attack. And Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum had talked about this and simulated it. And when something is simulated, it means it's planned. Uh, there were simulations on the morning of 9-11. There was a simulation about a coronavirus pandemic, uh, you know, a matter of weeks, if not months, shortly before the, you know, quote, real thing kicked off. So if something is simulated, there were simulations uh, on 7-7, uh, the same day. So always question. So uh, I've mentioned this cyber attack theme before, but it's worth mentioning it again in the light of this Russian situation. So this is the article. So this is in the Daily Mail. How Russian hackers could aim to cripple Britain. Cyber attack from Moscow in retaliation for Ukraine sanctions would target UK government and banking websites. Millions of companies across Britain were today warned to prepare for a Russian cyber attack as the UK placed sanctions on three wealthy allies of Vladimir Putin and five banks in response to the renewed invasion of Ukraine. GCHQ's National Cyber Security Centre urged UK organisations to bolster their online defences and warned that there has been a historical pattern of cyber attacks on Ukraine with international consequences. Ukrainian banking and government websites were last week briefly knocked offline by a spate of distributed denial-of-service attacks, which the US and Britain said were carried out by Russian military hackers, something the Russians denied. This will prompt concerns that the same sort of attack could now be attempted in the UK. DDoS attacks tried to crash a website by bombarding it with superfluous requests at the same time, and this surge of simple requests overloads the servers, causing them to shut down. In order to leverage the number of requests necessary, hackers will often resort to botnets, networks of computers brought under their control with malware. Defence Secretary Ben Wallace also said the UK will launch retaliatory cyber attacks on Russia if it targets Britain's computer networks, and that offensive cyber capability was being developed from a base in northwest England. It comes after Home Secretary Priti Patel warned over the weekend that the UK government expects to see cyber attacks aimed at the West, while NCSC Chief Executive Lindy Cameron told of a heightened cyber threat. And in recent weeks, the Financial Conduct Authority watchdog has written to the chief executives of UK banks, warning them to brace for Russian-sponsored cyber attacks and to ensure their security systems are updated. But former NCSC Chief Executive Kieran Martin has also urged calm saying that there is no reason for people in Britain to be cowering in bunkers over fear of cyber attacks and planes would not start to fall from the sky. 
Meanwhile, six European Union countries were today sending a team of cybersecurity experts to Ukraine to help deal with cyber threats after Russia formally recognised two breakaway regions in eastern Ukraine. An NCFC spokesman said following Russia's further violation of Ukraine's territorial integrity, the National Cyber Security Centre has called on organisations in the UK to bolster their online defences. The NCSC, which is a part of GCHQ, has urged organisations to follow its guidance on steps to take when the cyber threat is heightened. While the NCSC is not aware of any current specific threats to UK organisations in retaliation, or in, in, in relation even, to events in and around Ukraine, there has been a historical pattern of cyber attacks on Ukraine with international consequences. The guidance encourages organisations to follow actionable steps that reduce the risk of falling victims when attacked. Lithuania, Netherlands, Poland, Estonia, Romania and Croatia are sending a team of experts set up to help others other EU countries, institutions and partners to cope with cyber threats in response to a, a request from Ukraine. Lithuania's Deputy Defence Minister Margaris Abukavisia said, Ukraine might need help to deal with particular incidents or support to test their infrastructure looking for security weakness. Yesterday, Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba said that Russia had been using hybrid tactics to escalate the situation. We see disinformation campaigns, we see cyber attacks, we see open fakes distributed about Ukraine, and we see increased military activity, Mr. Kaleba told reporters in Brussels. Ukrainian cybersecurity bodies have warned of impending attacks, with a couple of major attacks on government websites recently observed. Mr. Kaleba called on the EU to take decisions that would send clear messages to Russia that its escalation will not be tolerated and Ukraine will not be left on its own. This includes not only political messaging, political signals, but also some very specific apps like supporting the development of our defence sector, supporting Ukraine's cyber security, imposing some of the sanctions, he added. Russian military hackers are behind the spate of distributed denial-of-service attacks that briefly knocked Ukrainian banking and government websites offline, the US and UK both said. But Russia has denied any role in the DDoS, which inflicted relatively limited distribution. A foreign Commonwealth and Development Office spokesman, said the UK government judges that the Russian main intelligence directorate, the GRU, were involved in this week's distributed denial-of-service attacks against the financial sector in Ukraine. The attack showed a continued disregard for Ukrainian sovereignty. This activity is yet another example of Russia's aggressive acts against Ukraine. This disruptive behaviour is unacceptable. Russia must stop this activity and respect Ukrainian sovereignty. We are steadfast in our support for Ukraine in the face of Russian aggression. Mr Wallace said this week, UK cyber experts are working with Ukraine to help to protect it from Russian activity. And Labour's Hillary Benn, MP for Leave Central, today asked Mr Wallace in the comments about sanctions in relation to cyber attacks. He said, can he tell the House what the government's response will be if the action taken by Russia, say, took the form of a no-fly zone over Ukraine? or blockading of its ports, or repeated and significant cyber attacks on Ukrainian institutions and governments. In those circumstances, would the government respond with the full sanctions it's obviously been discussing? Mr Wallace replied, I think he is absolutely right. Many of these aggressive moves, like a no-fly zone, in other words, the threatening of the integrity of that sovereign state, a blockade to free trade would absolutely warrant a response ranging from sanctions and others. I think we would look at it at the time, but absolutely I agree with him. Russia should be under no illusion that threatening the integrity of a sovereign nation, whether that's in the air or on the sea, is exactly the same as threatening on the land. Also in the Commons, the Labour MP for Nosley, or Nosley even, Sir George Howarth said, For over a decade, Russia has been mounting cyber attacks on our critical national infrastructure and the commercial infrastructure for over a decade, and there were no consequences. For over a decade, Russia has been swirling dirty money around the city of, city of London with no consequences. In order for Vladimir Putin to understand that he has now gone too far, he needs to be certain that if sanctions and diplomatic means don't succeed, then there will be consequences. Can the Prime Minister agree with me that the 
those consequences need to be still on the table and Vladimir Putin needs to understand that they will be used. Prime Minister Boris Johnson replied, we need to make it absolutely clear to Russia that as a result of this venture, they still conceived a disastrous venture in Ukraine, this country, his country even, Russia will end up, as I have said, pouring more encircled by NATO and engaged in a disastrous conflict with fellow Slavs in a prior state. That is what President Putin is willing on his people a prior state. And Liberal Democrat MP Jamie Stone told the Commons, we should be clear, if Russia invades Ukraine, massive sanctions will rightly be placed on Russia, and if that happens, we can expect a salvo of cyber attacks on the United Kingdom. Urgent calm over cyber attacks, Mr Martin told the I, a newspaper. People are worried that the cyber attack could cause planes to fall from the sky but gain a covert presence and control of an air traffic control system without anybody noticing through all its safety overrides and bring a plane crashing down would be incredibly hard and would take ages. I'll come back to that point in a minute. Any air traffic control system worthy of the name would have a plan to deal with the total collapse of the system countries model this sort of thing all the time. He continued, no one should be cowering in a bunker over fear of a cyber attack, but the, ch the chances of accidental contamination or an even more permissive attitude to some pretty damaged Russian-based cybercrime are things we have to be aware of. Authorities in Vienna are also stepping up surveillance of potential cyber threats to Austrian government institutions. The country's foreign ministry was targeted in a cyber attack two years ago that was traced to Russia. Today, Mr Johnson said Britain is sanctioning three wealthy allies of Mr Putin and five Russian banks as he announced the first barrage of punitive measures in response to the renewed invasion of Ukraine. Prime Minister warned that Moscow sending troops into the Donbass region under the guise of being peacekeepers appears to be the Kremlin establishing the pretext for a full-scale offensive with nearly 200,000 troops amassed on Ukraine's border. Mr Johnson told the Commons that immediate sanctions are being deployed against three very high net worth individuals, Gennady Timchenko, Boris Rottenberg and Igor Rottenberg, whom he described as cronies of the Russian president. The sanctions, which include UK asset freezes, a travel ban and prohibition on British individuals and businesses dealing with them, were also tabled against Russian banks, Russia, IS Bank, General Bank, Proms Thias Bank and the Black Sea Bank. This is the first tranche, the first barrage of what we are prepared to do, and we hold further sessions of readiness to be deployed, Mr. Johnson told MPs before, warning it is inevitable he will return with a much bigger package. The Prime Minister also applied pressure on European football governing body UEFA not to hold its Champions League final in St. Petersburg in June, saying there. Mr. Johnson added, the House should be in no doubt that the deployment of these forces in sovereign Ukrainian territory amounts to a renewed invasion of that country. And by denying Ukraine's legitimacy as a state and presenting its very existence as a mortal threat to Russia, Putin is establishing the pretext for full-scale offensive. But he faced calls to go further on sanctions now from Secure Starmer as well as some Tory MPs. The Labour leader said he understands the tactic of holding back sanctions to deter an invasion past the Donetsk and Luhansk regions in the east of Ukraine, but said a threshold has already been breached. He said a sovereign nation has been invaded in war of aggression, and if we do not respond with the full set of sanctions now, Putin will once again take away the message that the benefits of aggression outweigh the costs. Former Tory leader Sir Ian Duncan Smith suggested Russia should be hit hard and hit them now to increase the pain of the current incursion. Commons Defence Committee Chairman Tobias Elwood says sanctions alone will not be enough and warned that untargeted sanctions may play into Putin's plans to pivot Russia ever closer to China. Now in my new book, I talk about how Israel is rivaling Silicon Valley as the global tech hub of the world, how Israel has a backdoor into virtually every computer system in the world, including aircraft and military intelligence networks computers, government computers, as well as a history of cyber attacks. It would be very easy for Israel to launch a cyber attack against Western targets and blame Russia. The cyber attacks have the potential to affect the electricity grid or to cause financial chaos or both. 
and they can be very targeted and very coordinated and people need to keep this in mind when events happen that are blamed on Russia that are traced back to a cyber attack. Whatever happens, we need to stay calm because the media, on behalf of the cult, want to keep people in fear because when you're in fear, you're far more suggestible and likely to do what you're told you should do to protect you from what you have been manipulated to fear by the very same people who are behind what's happening which should be manipulated to fear in the first place. If we stay calm, we can think clearly and keep a rational mind. We also need to avoid taking sides. The media is manipulating people to take the side of Ukraine because that, by implication, creates an opposition with Russia because Russia are the other side. It's not about sides, it's about staying calm, detached and looking at the situation dispassionately to allow you to see it clearly. Another subject I've got to talk about, haven't yet, is the truckers in Canada. And this is maybe an old story now, but it's worth covering because I haven't covered it yet. So this is in The Independent. Canada official emergency powers removed after blockade end. Senior government officials say Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will announce, well, by now, of course, this is, he has announced it. Wednesday, he is removing emergency powers police can invoke after authorities ended the border blockades by those opposed to COVID-19 restrictions, as well as the occupation of downtown Ottawa. Trudeau invoked the powers and lawmakers affirmed the power. Trudeau said the powers were still needed. The Emergencies Act allows police to freeze truckers' personal and corporate bank accounts and compel tow truck com- companies to haul away vehicles. The trucker protest grew until it closed a handful of Canada-US border posts and shut down key parts of the capital for more than three weeks. All border blockades have now ended and the streets around the Canadian Parliament are quiet. Trudeau had warned there were some truckers just outside Ottawa who might be planning further blockades or occupations. The public safety minister also said there was an attempt to block a border crossing in British Columbia. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police said those who had had their bank accounts frozen were influencers in the illegal protests in Ottawa and owners and or drivers of vehicles who did not want to leave the area. The protests, which were first aimed at a COVID-19 vaccine mandate for cross-border truckers, also encompassed fury over the range of COVID-19 restrictions and hatred of Trudeau, reflected the spread of disinformation in Canada and simmering populist and right-wing anger. The self-styled Freedom Convoy shook Canada's reputation for civility-inspired convoys in France, New Zealand and the Netherlands and interrupted trade, causing economic damage on both sides of the border. Hundreds of trucks eventually occupied the streets around Parliament, the display that was part protest and part carnival. For almost a week, the busiest US-Canada border crossing the Ambassador Bridge between Windsor, Ontario and Detroit was blocked. The crossing seats more than 25% of the trade between the two countries. Authorities moved to reopen the border post, but police in Ottawa did little but issue warnings even as hundreds and sometimes thousands of protesters clawed the streets of the city and besieged Parliament Hill. Authorities launched the largest police operation in Canadian history, arresting a string of Ottawa protesters and increasing that pressure until the streets in front of Parliament were clear. A simple fact is that Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has run a fascist government in Canada, just like virtually every country has since 2020. Certain people in Canada had enough in the early part of 2022 and decided to make their feelings known. And these people became known as the truckers because they formed a blockade with their trucks. And how did they do it? How did they stage this protest? Did they use violence? Did they shout loudly? Did they harm people? No. They simply formed a blockade with their trucks and stayed put. And because authority knows that the people have the power, 
they tried threatening the truckers by freezing bank accounts and seizing assets of the truckers and also anyone supporting them on social media, even if it was just a message of support. And the truckers stayed put throughout threats and uh, a few left because they got scared, but the majority remained and the COVID-19 Emergencies Act was revoked in Canada in response only 10 days after it had been implemented. The truckers showed the kind of steely, unmovable, unshakable determination necessary to bring global tyranny to an end, not just in terms of COVID, but anything which serves and advances the cult's agenda. Trudeau ran for the hills eventually in the face of the truckers' blockade and showed in doing so where the real power lies. The truckers winning, the authorities knew, would send a message around the world that people have the power the real power, not authority, which needs us to give away our power to it. Otherwise, there is nothing authority can do. And it's no surprise that uh, Trudeau's deputy prime minister, as with Trudeau himself, Christian Freeland, is is a graduate of the World Economic Forum's Young Global Leaders School. But also, uh, she's on the board of trustees of the World Economic Forum. I'm sure many people listening to this will know about the World Economic Forum, but it's a major organization in the cult network of control and manipulation and the cult structure. And it's come to light over the last two years since the COVID hoax, not least because it ran a simulation of a COVID pandemic a few months, no more than a couple of months before the hoax began. It was founded and run by... Clive Schwab, who looks like a Bond villain that never was. And one of the vehicles for Schwab's global takeover is the Young Global Leaders School, which, as Schwab has admitted on camera, has infiltrated politics in Canada, France, Germany, and Argentina. And there are many other countries and political figures that will be the same. Schwab admitted in 2017 that half, if not more, of the Canadian cabinet, Prime Minister Trudeau, are Young Global Leaders graduates. And that, of course, includes Christian Freeland. Schwab says that in his words, they have penetrated the cabinets of political parties in country after country. Schwab is a cult asset, and so what he really means is the cult through him and the World Economic Forum have infiltrated the cabinets of political parties in country after country. This is one reason why the global response to the COVID hoax was so coordinated worldwide for two years. Other prominent young global leaders graduates are Fab al-Rashid, the Chief Executive Officer, Royal Commission for Riyadh City and the Sabatian Frankist owned and run Saudi Arabia. The Sabatian Frankist cult is the uh, innermost and most influential part of the overall cult. Officially, Saudi Arabia is run by the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who is himself a Sabatian Frankist and mega psychopath. Jacinda Ardern, Prime Minister of New Zealand, Emmanuel Macron, President of France, Angela Merkel, Chancellor of Germany and even Vladimir Putin. They're all young global leaders graduates. And this is one example of how prominent political figures are merely assets of the cult and and just knowingly playing out the cult script and global agenda. And now it's becoming blatantly obvious through the Young Global Leaders School. School also trains people in the world of business and prominent public figures to infiltrate or penetrate in Schwab's words 
all key areas of society to play out the cult script in a coordinated way. Now this is what the alternative media has been pointing out is the case since way back into the early to mid 1990s and it's now being put on public display. And the next subject is HIV. There's another virus on the loose. Oh yeah, yeah, it's official, they found it. This is in the Daily Mail. New HIV super strain is found in the Netherlands. Highly infectious variant makes people ill twice as quickly and has been spotted in at least 109 people. A new super mutant HIV strain that makes infected individuals ill twice as fast as current versions of the virus has been detected in the Netherlands. The new mutant, called the VB variant, has infected at least 109 people according to a study by Oxford University, funded by Bill Gates. The strain damages the immune system and weakens a person's ability to fight everyday infections and disease faster than previous versions of the virus. The VB variant also has a viral load between 3.5 and 5.5 times higher than the current strain, meaning infected people are more likely to transmit the virus to others. However, after starting treatment, those with the variant have a similar immune system recovery and survival rate to those infected with other HIV strains. But the researchers warn the rapid health decline after catching VB means early detection and treatment is critical. Britons are advised to get tested for HIV with a PCR test and other STIs at least once a year, while men who have sex with men are advised to get tested every three months. More than 100,000 Britons and 1 million Americans are thought to be living with HIV. But it can't be that dangerous, then can it? Independent experts have said the finding is nothing to panic about. The analysis found VB arose in the 1980s and has been declining since 2010. An analysis of genetic patterns suggests VB first arose during the late 1980s and 1990s in the Netherlands. The discovery, published in the journal Science, is the result of an international collaboration between the University of Oxford's Big Data Institute and the Dutch HIV Monitoring Foundation. The team which collects HIV samples from across Europe and Uganda detected 17 cases of the new strain. Just like COVID, HIV mutates very quickly, but the vast majority of these changes make no difference to the nature of the virus. Two of the cases were in Switzerland and Belgium, while 15 VB variant samples were taken from individuals in the Netherlands. The team examined positive samples from more than 6,700 people in the country to find out how but it is. This process identified a further 92 people with a variant from all regions in the Netherlands, bringing the total of confirmed cases to 109, but the true number is likely to be higher. The team examined sequenced HIV samples from a global database but did not detect other cases. However, they said there are probably at least a few more international cases of the strain. By analysing genetic variation among the sample, the team estimated that the VB variant first emerged in the late 1980s or 1990s. They found it spread faster than other strains during the 2000s before declining since 2010 in response to treatment becoming widely available. I wonder what that treatment might be. It is unclear how the variant emerged, but the team said one option could be an unusually long infection in one person who did not undergo treatment to stop the virus from replicating and evolving. The scientists do not yet know how the variant is more transmissible and damaging to the immune system. People infected with the strain have the same characteristics, including age and sex, as other people living with HIV in the Netherlands, the researchers noted. The experts said further studies into the variant's mechanisms could reveal new parts of the virus to target through drugs. Dr. Chris Wyman, a senior researcher in statistical genetics at Oxford University and lead author, said, Before this study, the genetics of the HIV virus were known to be relevant for virulence, implying that the evolution of a new variant could change its impact on health. Discovery of the VB variant demonstrated this, providing a rare example of the risk posed by viral virulence evolution. Professor Christoph Fraser, an expert in pathogen dynamics at the university and study senior author, said, I finally emphasized the importance of World Health Organization guidance that individuals at risk of acquiring HIV have access to regular testing to allow early diagnosis followed by immediate treatment. 
This limits the amount of time HIV can damage an individual's immune system and jeopardize their health. It also ensures that HIV is suppressed as quickly as possible, which prevents transmission to other individuals. World Health Organization guidance, in other words, whatever Bill Gates wants them to say. HIV is another virus that's not been proven to exist, uh, just like COVID, just like other viruses. The COVID hoax template has been used before to scam a fake virus, and that virus was HIV. The AIDS epidemic was based on a fake virus, a fake test, and fake death certificates, and it was basically a trial run for COVID-19. AIDS was claimed to be caused by the human immunodeficiency virus, HIV, but just as with SARS-CoV-2, the name for the COVID virus, nobody ever proved it existed as an isolated entity, as a purified entity outside of a cell culture. And I talk in the new book, The Flaws of Virology in Detail. Judy Mikovits, who I wouldn't trust to tell me the time in a room full of clocks, to be honest with you, but that's, that's another story. Uh, worked as a lab technician at Fort Detrick, Maryland, home of the National Cancer, Cancer Institute, U.S. Army Medical Research and Development Command and the United States Army Futures Command from 1988 and part of her work involved working with the HIV virus. And she said in an interview, she didn't she didn't come right out and say it. It was part of a, uh, like a roundtable interview. But she did say that in 2020, the AIDS virus was never properly isolated outside of a cell culture which is the only way really the, vi- the virologists can claim to isolate a virus. Now, in the interview, she was supporting the idea that the AIDS virus existed, but what she did say was that it's never been purified outside of the cell culture. Uh, Kerry Mullis, biochemist and inventor at the PCR test, um, which was the test that was used for HIV and COVID, of course, as I'm sure you'll know, uh, wrote in his book, Dancing Naked in the Minefield, which is kind of like a biography. Uh, Mullis was working in a lab in Santa Monica, California, to detect retroviruses, or attempting to, with his PCR test in blood samples donated by the Red Cross. Mullis wanted a reference paper which proved HIV causes age to include in this paper. He asked a virologist who worked to the classic line, you don't need a reference, everybody knows that. And science, as with so many things, is full of everybody knows that. And so many things that are accepted as everybody knows that are actually everybody thinks that. And in my new book, I've got a chapter called Everybody Thinks That, where I look at some of these assumptions that are accepted fact, because it's just assumed that they're fact. So the virologist that said everybody knows that, uh, Everybody knows that what suggested Mullish cite a report by the CDC about morbidity and mortality of HIV. The report only stated that HIV causes AIDS without any explanation of how this was discovered and without citing the original scientific work. Declarative, definitive statements like this make their way to scientific literature all the time without any evidence provided to back them up or with references provided that don't back them up. However, many virologists just assume that because the CDC claimed to have discovered HIV causes AIDS, the HIV causes AIDS. This is what happens if you don't question. Mullis lectured on the subject of his PCR test at meetings where people were discussing HIV causing AIDS, and he asked people at the meeting 
how they knew this was the case, and he describes in his book. This is what he says. Everyone said something. Everyone had the answer at home, in the office, in some drawer. They all knew, and they would send me the papers as soon as they got back. But I never got any papers, he said. Nobody ever sent me the news about how HIV AIDS was caused by HIV. I did computer searches. Neither Montagnier, Gallo, nor anyone else had published papers describing experiments which led to the conclusion that HIV probably caused AIDS. I read the papers in Science, for which they had become well-known as AIDS doctors, but all they had said in those papers there was that they had found evidence of a past infection, which was probably HIV, in some AIDS patients. And this is how, this is how it works in science. Once the scientific orthodoxy is set, which only takes a few people, the overwhelming majority of scientists accept it without question, and it becomes, and everybody knows that, merely through repetition. And that's what Melissa was describing. The medical establishment had accepted the HIV causes AIDS, and therefore evidence of past infection was seen as probably, not definitively, caused by AIDS. And Melissa also talks about the supposed antibodies to HIV, and I talk about antibodies in the new book as well. He said they found antibodies, which had always been considered evidence of past disease, not present disease. Antibodies uh, signaled that the virus had been defeated. The patient saved himself. There was no indication in the papers that this virus caused a disease. They didn't show that everybody with the antibodies had the disease. In fact, they found some healthy people with antibodies. And what Mullis is getting at there is uh, what I talk about in the new book, which is that antibodies are a completely unreliable way of measuring anything in terms of infection. And if there aren't any viruses, then antibodies, as, as they're called, are obviously not in the body to target viruses. Why would they be? I examine uh, germ theory in the new book as well. And, you know, if what we know about germs is not true, then... Um, why would we have an immune system? Why would the body have evolved an immune system when it doesn't need one? Mullis, uh, he says, uh, he said he eventually got the chance to talk to Luc Montagnier, the Francis Pasteur Institute, named after Louis Pasteur, key figure in the germ theory. Luc Montagnier and Robert Gallo were the two people, uh, Robert Gallo of America's National, National Institutes of Health, credited with the discovery of the AIDS virus. Mullis asked him for a reference, and Montagna referred him back to the CDC report, which Mullis had already examined. Mullis heard an interview while driving one night on national public radio with Peter Jewsberg, a prominent virologist at Berkeley University in California, Scientist of the Year. And when he heard that interview, it, it finally gave him the answer for why he was unable to find a reference proving HIV causes AIDS, there isn't one. No scientific literature existed to justify the multi-billion dollar industry and the scare stories repeated by the media and the entire global medical establishment. That's what has happened since 2020 with COVID. Jewsburg told the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences that there was no evidence to back up this claim. And Mullis explains the PCR test scam in relation to AIDS, which was then repeated with COVID-19. And he said, if an HIV-positive woman develops uterine cancer, for example, she is considered to have AIDS. If she is not HIV-positive, she simply has uterine cancer. 
An HIV an HIV positive man with tuberculosis has AIDS. If he tests negative, he simply has tuberculosis. If he lives in Kenya or Colombia, where the test for HIV antibodies is too expensive, he is simply presumed to have the antibodies and therefore AIDS, and therefore he can be treated in the World Health Organization's clinic. It's the only medical help available in some places, and it's free because the countries that support the World Health Organization are worried about AIDS, he said. And what he uh, is describing is, is the situation we've seen with covid where people who test positive with the PCR test today, which Mullis, the inventor of the test, vociferously claim cannot be used to, to detect viruses and infection, as the manufacturers of the COVID versions of the test say on their website, they actually say on their website, this is not intended to be used for the diagnosis of coronavirus. But if someone tests positive with the PCR test for COVID, they claim to be a case of COVID-19, and if they die within 28 or 60 days, from any other cause, any other cause to have died from COVID-19, including being hit by a bus or gunshot wounds, both of which have happened, they are called a COVID death. And uh, gay people, homosexual people, were told to get tested for HIV because it was claimed gay people contract the disease through sexual contact. And they got tested with a PCR test, and if they tested positive or showed symptoms, they were given a chemotherapy drug called AZT, which was so toxic it was withdrawn as a chemotherapy choice so can you imagine how toxic it must have been azt killed many who took the drug why wouldn't it and if they previously tested positive before taking the drug they were labeled hiv deaths and in many ways the aids hoax was a trial run a dry run for the covid hoax and they're talking about hiv bringing that scam back now and no doubt I'm sure they plan to bring the COVID hoax back, you know, something approaching what it's been in the last two years, uh, if they feel they can. And this is why it's important to understand the fact that virology is fundamentally flawed, as I've detailed many times before, and I detail even more so in my new book, so that you don't get poured into these virus scare stories. And the last subject is the online safety bill. This is in the Times. Tech firms face crackdown on legal but harmful content. Tech giants may soon have to proactively remove legal but harmful content from their platforms for UK users under radical proposals being considered by the government. Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary, is reportedly considering changes to the forthcoming online safety bill that would require tech companies to monitor and remove content that is considered harmful but not illegal. The bill aims to make the UK the safest place in the world to be online and to be presented to Parliament soon this, this month. Legislation requires social media giants and most other companies that allow users, users to upload their own content to show a duty of care to users by proactively removing illegal content and activities such as child sex abuse material or terrorist content. They must also ensure that children are not exposed to inappropriate material. Companies that fail to do so could be fined £18 million pounds or 10% of their global annual turnover and UK-based directors could be held criminally, criminally liable. In the, draft, in the draft released in May, this is May 2020, it was going to come in earlier, this uh, online safety bill. They planned it to come in earlier. 
Uh, in the draft released in May, the government stated that a certain subset of companies, predominantly social media giants, would also need to take steps to minimise access to content that is legal but harmful, such as some types of online abuse or content that may glorify self-harm or eating disorders. However, it was not stated that the companies will be legally required to proactively remove such content rather than relying on users to report it. Now, Patel is looking to make tech companies and their UK-based directors liable for such content. The move was first reported by the Financial Times, which said that she had written to cabinet colleagues, including the Chancellor, laying out her proposal so she says new measures are needed to better protect children online. There is lots of content on social media that is illegal and harmful to children. We want to give off comparisons to require companies to mitigate harm on their platforms, a Whitehall official said. There are technologies that can do this and we want to make sure that tech companies are doing what they can. Tech executives are, of course, concerned about the proposals. One industry figure told the Financial Times this seems to go significantly beyond what is done in democratic countries. It feels a bit closer to what they are doing in China. A Home Office spokesman said we expect companies to remove and limit the spread of illegal content on their platforms. What they don't, it is right. They are held to account. So, the online safety bill is nothing to do with protecting anyone. The claims about making sure people, including children, are safe online are just an excuse, exploiting those people to justify censoring the alternative media, which is reaching more people than ever before, given that a large number of people have started looking at the world anew since 2020 because of the COVID hoax fascism and the lies and contradictions of fascism imposing government worldwide. As ever, the decisions on what content crosses the line will be made by authority and anyone challenging official narratives with verifiable research and evidence will be targeted with fines or a prison sentence. The cult and authority clearly have no confidence in their own arguments and moves like the online safety bill smack of desperation in the face of gathering numbers of people seeing the world anew. The social media giants don't need pressure put on them to remove alleged misinformation and alleged harmful material. I love this. They, you hear this line about we're putting pressure on social media giants. We're calling on social media giants to remove this or that. The social media giants were created to censor. They don't need anyone to encourage them. All they need is people to give them the excuse to do what they were created to do anyway. As I point out in my first book, uh, pay-per-view in print, the social media giants were created by the American military intelligence networks. These people like Zuckerberg and Brin and Page, Google and all these people, they're not the origin of these social media giants. They're the front people for it. Facebook was not created in a dorm room by Zuckerberg. It was created by the American Military Intelligence Network, like Silicon Valley in general was. And he's not running Facebook. He's the front face of Facebook. The American Military Intelligence Network created Silicon Valley to censor, track, profile and to be at the forefront of the technological transhuman agenda merging humanity with technology leading to artificial intelligence replacing the human mind through an ai connection to the human mind uh, in my in my first book i detailed the transhuman agenda but in this new book i look at the true nature of this artificial intelligence that they want all human minds to be replaced by and uh, they're openly talking about that because they have to sell it to us they can't do that and people not know so they have to move from hiding it to selling it and that's what people like Ray Kurzweil at Google have been talking and writing about for a long time and Elon Musk another tech name uh, is 
talking about as well. He created a company called Neuralink to connect the human mind to computers, which is one step away from connecting the human mind to AI, except that this AI connection is designed to be a wireless connection. So these social media platforms don't need any encouragement to censor. And the online safety bill is yet another example of the desperation of authority to censor alternative information because it knows that its narratives are so tenuous and so untenable that the only way they can be supported is by censoring any credible challenge to them, which is what the social media giants were created, among other things, to do. So this online safety bill is threatening fines in a prison sentence for people who post material that is illegal and lawful, but judged to be harmful. And of course, authority will make the decisions about what is deemed to be harmful. And that decision will be based on, is this challenging our agenda or is it supporting it or, or is it neutral? That will be the criteria for what they deem to be harmful. As ever, the people have the power not authority because they can find and arrest one person, 10 people, 50 people. But are they going to find and arrest 10,000 people posting material the authorities don't want people to see in here? Are they going to find and arrest 100,000, 1 million? The online safety bill is nothing more than a scare tactic, a deterrent to discourage people from posting material on social media challenging official narratives across the entire spectrum of subjects of the cult's agenda. But if people carry on doing it anyway, in large numbers, as, as they are now and have been for a long time, there is nothing they can do. And they know that. That's why they have to try to scare people with things like the online safety bill. We are moving towards a situation, if people allow it, where, as I've said before, the... The agenda is people only see and hear what authority wants them to see and hear, and anything which challenges that will not be accessible in any way, shape, or form anywhere in the world. Because authority is so confident that what its official narratives say is true, that they have to react like that to defend them. Only people who have zero confidence in their arguments would want to censor to the extent that authority through Silicon Valley and through other means has been doing and is planning to do in the future, not least now with this online safety bill. So the ball's in our court. And if we see the online safety bill as nothing but a sign of desperation from authority and carry on posting material in the numbers that people are now, then the online safety bill will be nothing but a piece of legislation that basically means nothing. But it's up to the people to make that decision. So that's it for this week. That's the news. That's the contesting connections. That's pay-per-view. More to come next week. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>